Thank you for downloading this sermon from Holy Trinity Reformed Church. If you live in the vicinity of Mooresville, Indiana, come join us as we rebuild Christ's Holy Church out of the ash heaps of American fundamentalism and evangelicalism through repentance, revival, and reformation. If you would like more information about Holy Trinity Reformed Church, or if you do not live in our area but would like to support this ministry, please visit our website at reformedholytrinity.org. I am trying to figure out, in our limited time, what to preach this morning. So I actually have two sermons here, one on paper, which really is kind of hodgepodge of uh, uh, the work that I would do to prepare a sermon. And then there is the actual poured over uh, sermon uh, throughout the course of this week. And I really don't know which direction to go. Um, These are things that I'm working on for some other things, and it is really on my mind. It goes along with this sermon, but I can't preach them both together uh, because that would take too much time. And so I stand here like between a, a rock and a hard place trying to figure it out. So what will probably end up happen, what will probably end up happening is as I choose to go along with what I had planned originally in the week, I'll probably start with this one and end up incorporating the other one uh, as it will come out in this one. So that could be a mess, but we'll see what happens here this morning. So let's begin, first of all, by turning to the book of James. James chapter 1, and the reason why I have, uh, the reason why I'm in this uh, state kind of betwixt the two, is because we are in a terrible situation. We are in a desperate situation. Unfortunately, the church, we, have not became desperate yet. Um, And that's what it's going to take. Uh, Someone asked me um, how the church was going the other day, and my response was, well, we just haven't became desperate enough yet. Um, And eventually, Lord willing, we will. And eventually, the church as a whole will become desperate, uh, desperate like Acts chapter 1, desperate, where we show up, the disciples and the apostles, that 120 people, they didn't have the answers for everything, but Jesus had given them a promise that they would take the gospel into the whole world and that they would baptize believers and they would disciple nations in everything that God, that Christ had commanded them to do. They didn't have it all figured out that Jesus told them just to go, gather, wait, do what you can do, and I will pour out my Holy Spirit upon you. Because it was not their work that was going to be successful. It was going to be the work of the Holy Spirit that was going to be successful. And that was going to expand the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And that's where we are at. It's pretty simple. It is a pretty simple solution. All the solutions are usually simple. Um, You know, it's like this solution. People have uh, unbelief uh, going on in their lives. And it's like, well, trust God. Read his word. Receive the engrafted word because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's how we deal with that issue. Or with all the things, all, all the disarray in our lives. It's like, well, start doing what we have been commanded to do, and it'll be better. Right? 
The same thing is true with the church. We have to, first of all, assemble as a community, as a church. We have to be together. We have to become one. We have to be united together. We have to be bonded together. And that means actual physical presence. And then pray, seek God's face. Oh, that kind of reminds me of 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Hmm. Seek God's face and do what we know to do. They knew Judas had betrayed the Lord and they needed another apostle to make up the 12. And so what did they do? They, they did that work. That was before them. And so that's what we need to return to. We need to simplify these things a little bit um, because we are making things way too complicated. James chapter 1, we're going to be dealing with this topic, um, embracing the role of servants, the key to triumphing through trials, tribulations and temptations so let's look here in james chapter one james a bond servant of god and the lord jesus christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered scattered abroad greetings my brethren count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete lacking nothing If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways." Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation. Because as a flower of the field he will pass away, for no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass. Its flowers falls, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man will also fade away in his pursuits. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good and perfect gift is from above, and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures." So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. 
But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. In the biblical context here, there, uh, and not only here, but all throughout Scripture, there is a kind of servant called a bond servant here in James chapter 1 in our text, who is an individual who willingly commits themselves to serve a master out of love, devotion, and loyalty. As a matter of fact, you can find an example of this in Exodus chapter 21, in verse number 1, where it says, Now these are the judgments which you shall set before them, talking about to the children of Israel. It says, If you buy a Hebrew servant or slave, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free and pay nothing. If he comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself. But if he comes in married, then his wife will go out with him. If his master has given him a wife and she has borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters and he shall go out by himself. But if, and here, listen to this, if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door, to the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear, and he shall serve him forever. This voluntary choice exemplified a deep sense of surrender, submission, and dedication to the authority and will of the master. James here is referring to himself as a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, expressing his profound devotion and unwavering commitment to both God the Father and to Jesus Christ. So, uh, as a bondservant, Jesus willingly and wholeheartedly submits himself to the authority and purpose and will of both the Father and the Son. By identifying himself as a servant of God, James acknowledges God as his master and recognizes that his life longs to belong his life belongs to God. And so he willingly surrenders his own desires and plans and ambitions to align himself with God's purposes. This indicates a posture of humility, obedience, and servanthood as he is placing God's will above his own, which is what we were taught by Jesus Christ as he prayed in the garden, not my will, but thy will be done. Similarly, uh, similarly, uh, Jesus identifies himself as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Acknowledging Jesus as his master and recognizing Jesus' role as the divine son of God. And so as a bondservant of Jesus, James willingly serves him, following his teachings, imitating his example, and seeking to advance his kingdom. This 
is a deep devotion to Jesus' authority, teachings, and mission, aligning his life with the will of Christ by saying, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, being a servant of God and Jesus Christ implies complete surrender. A surrender of one's life, a surrender of one's desires, and a surrender of one's will to the authority and the lordship of God and of his Christ. It is a position of humility, acknowledging our dependence upon God and our need for his guidance and direction in every aspect of our lives. It involves a willingness to serve, obey, and faithfully follow God and Christ, seeking to fulfill their purposes and bring glory to their names. As followers of Christ today, we are called to adopt the same posture of a servant. Recognizing God as our master and Jesus Christ as our Lord. This involves a daily surrender of our lives, our desires and plans to God's authority, seeking to align our thoughts, words, and actions with his will. So it is this transformative posture that seeks to live a life of devotion, obedience, and service as we strive to live out our faith and fulfill God's purposes in the world. And this disposition that we see here in the beginning of this chapter, in the beginning of James's letter, it is crucial, absolutely crucial to our understanding and application of the passage that we are addressing here this morning, but the whole book, the whole letter that James wrote. So what we are dealing with is this first topic that he deals with, which is the topic of trials and temptations. And this disposition of being a servant, a bondservant of God and Jesus Christ is absolutely important to understanding the rest. You cannot get to the rest without going through that first verse. It's the reason why James can confidently state and follow what he communicates in these following verses because he knows that he is not his own. That his body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, having been bought with the precious blood of Christ. Therefore, his purpose in life is to glorify God in his body and spirit, just as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. In light of this truth, James proceeds to address trials, emphasizing that our lives are not meant for personal gain, but rather to be lived for God's glory and his purpose. And many modern Americans today seek the American dream with a sprinkle of religiosity to soothe their consciences. However, The worldview that has been presently adopted in our culture and throughout the church today fails to provide purpose. It fails to provide satisfaction to life, and it falls short of enabling a life of devotion, service, and contentment. 
the only meaningful life which truly makes sense of and gives reason to the trials we face is one lived as a servant to God and the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the only perspective that affords us the keys to overcome every trial that we could possibly face. So first of all, let's notice in verses 2 through 8, the joyful disposition, (laughs) which is a very, it's almost a humorous thing nowadays in our culture and our perspectives as we look upon life. It is almost a humorous thing to read this, is it not? Rejoicing in trials, my brethren, count it all joy. Woo! Guess what, brothers and sisters? I got a new trial going on. Isn't it wonderful? Yeah, that seems a little odd to us. Doesn't it? But as servants of Jesus Christ, we are called to approach trials with a joyful disposition. You see, when... Peter talks about a peculiar people. That's pretty peculiar. Don't you think the world would say, that's strange. But it's a nice kind of strange. That's weird, but it's a nice kind of weird. It's kind of like the love that's supposed to be in the church. The world should be looking at it and be like, I don't get it, but it's kind of nice. But we're to approach trials with a joyful disposition. Why? Because we're bondservants of God and Jesus Christ. You don't belong to yourself. You belong to God. Your life is not your own. You've been bought with a price to glorify God in your body and your spirit in the midst of all the trials, tribulations, temptations, persecutions of life. Now, this joy is not a blind optimism. Have you ever been around someone like that who has this blind optimism? It's just as bad as blind pessimism, but, um, but they have this blind optimism. You know, where it does get into a very unrealistic thing, where it's, it's not counting it joy as a bondservant of God in which to bring glory to God in the midst of it. It's just a way to cope. Those are two different things. It's not a blind optimism. It's actually a knowledgeable joy that is rooted in the understanding that the testing of our faith produces things, good things. One of the things that's pointed out is that it produces endurance. By allowing patience to fully develop in us, we mature and become complete, lacking nothing in our Christian faith. That's a good thing. Your trials will mature you. And isn't that what we've been called to become? Mature in Jesus Christ? the full man, the full stature, to become Christ-like. So by allowing this to fully develop in us, it matures us. And we can confidently ask God for wisdom 
even in the midst of these trials, knowing that he will generously grant to us when we ask in faith. So when James instructs believers to count it all joy when facing various trials, he's not suggesting that we should rejoice in the pain and difficulties themselves. The pain and the difficulty is not the goal. It's not the good. Instead, what we're being encouraged to do is to find joy in the deeper purposes of God so that glory might come to him and also the work that is being done in us to transform us into the image of Christ. Trials, by their very nature, challenge us, and they test our faith, right? It pushes us beyond our comfort zones, whatever they are. Um, Because I don't care how long you've been at this, whatever your comfort zone is, it needs pushed. You can't get stronger if you don't push. And you have to push more and more weight to get stronger and stronger and stronger. And so, trials push us beyond our comfort zones. They expose our weaknesses, right? And it also reveals our areas of growth. So, in these trials, our character and faith are refined, they're strengthened, and they're shaped into something that is more resilient and mature. So, by understanding the purposes of trials, we can approach them with a joyful disposition. So, we recognize that they are not random occurrences. Oh, boy. There's where a lot of Christians are living in atheism. That seems counterintuitive, right? But it's true. We live in skepticism. We live in atheism. That's what we practice. Now, we profess Christ, but unfortunately, much of Christianity, and many times we, are actually practicing atheism. So, these are not random occurrences. God is sovereign over all things. And every little thing you are experiencing, you can know that there is a sovereign God over it all. Every bit of it. Now, he's not the author of sin. He doesn't will evil in the aspect of sin. But in the midst of a fallen world that man chose... He is sovereign over all things to work even the evil in this world that man chose to bring glory to himself and good for us. 
See, it's not random occurrences. It's not a sign of God's absence. It's, we don't have a deist view that, that the world is like some clock that God wound up and then he sets it on the dresser and goes his way. These are not random occurrences. No! A sovereign God is affording us opportunities for growth, refinement, and deepening our relationship with him. So when our faith is tested, it produces endurance. And endurance, in turn, develops perseverance and steadfastness in our character. These are good things. And we should rejoice in that. That God is working good things in us through our trials. So just as physical exercise strengthens our muscles, trials strengthen our spiritual muscles, enabling us to withstand for uh, future challenges with greater strength and endurance and fortitude. However, the process of growth and maturation requires patience. And so we must allow patience to have its perfect work within us. And we're talking about patience through trials. Not rushing through or trying to avoid challenges. Patience allows us to endure the trials with a steadfast and unwavering trust in God's faithfulness and guidance. And so because we must hurry along, because I want to end on a certain note, let's consider... The next thing in James chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, and that's the right perspective, which is embracing humility. I'm not going to spend much time here uh, because uh, we're trying to get to uh, the latter part of the chapter. But, you know, regardless of our socio, uh, socioeconomic status, uh, we are reminded to embrace humility and maintain a right perspective. And we don't have a right perspective, even, even with us today, right? We give preferential treatment to the rich. Preferential treatment to those who have this, that, or the other. You see, we give preferential treatment to it, and that's one of the things that James will deal with. He brings it up here, deals with it later in the chapter, or later in his letter, and this epistle. How that we are not to have respect of persons. We are not to be a respecter of persons. God is not a respecter of persons. Just because someone has great wealth doesn't make them any better in God's sight. So we need to have a right perspective that's rooted in humility and a proper understanding because what James will really get to later is he brings this up and mentions it here in this part of our text is that what we need to have is a understanding of the fleeting nature of worldly pursuits. There used to be an old movie the old black and white film, we used to watch it, oh my goodness, we watched it numerous times. You can't take it with you. It'll all turn to dust. Just like we turn to dust, it'll all turn to dust. You can't take it with you. 
And so that's the reason why you're not supposed to have this respect of persons. It doesn't make you a better Christian. It doesn't make your life any better. And it will not endure. And then in verses 12 through 18, notice the endurance of temptations, which is the path to the crown of life. So, yeah, there are aspects. <laughs> we live in a crazy culture now. And, and um, I know people have perverted many different things. And, you know, we've even perverted this aspect of uh, uh, rewards and all that kind of stuff. But the Bible does mention it. Right? We all have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we are all going to give an account. First of all, we're going to give an account, first of all, as to why we should be granted entrance. And that answer, if it's anything other than Jesus Christ, you're in trouble. But we're also going to be asked what we did for Christ. So he mentions that there is this crown of life that's going to be granted to those who endure these temptations as servants of Jesus Christ. And then notice in verses 19 through 20, we have to have the right characteristics so if we're going to endure trials, um, you know, first of all, we have to approach it as servants of God and Jesus Christ. And within that context, we have to have the right characteristics, which is to be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. I'm sorry, I'm just jumping through all this because we don't have time. But notice the fifth thing. As bond servants, as servants of Jesus Christ, as slaves of Jesus Christ, we have to have faith into action, be doers of the word in verses 21 through 27. And as servants of Christ, we are called to put our faith in action. If you want to endure tribulations, trials, temptations, put your faith into action. Act on it. The first thing in acting on it is praying. Asking for wisdom. That's what's listed in the very first part of the chapter, right? That's an action. It's acting on it. We are to act in faith. We are to lay aside sin and wickedness and humbly receive the implanted word which has the power to save our souls. However, it is not enough just to hear the word. Yes, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But when that faith comes, it acts. That faith does something. So it's not enough to hear the word. We must also be doers of the word. Mere hearing without action deceives ourselves and hinders our spiritual growth. Do you imagine trying to maintain that kind of a relationship with your, cheer, uh, your children and all they keep responding? I hear you. I hear you. Well, you need to clean your room. I hear you. I want to hear more, but that's all I want to do is hear. Tell me more about how I should clean my room. 
I hear you. Yeah, <laughs> that wouldn't go over very well. I know what my father would have done, and it would not have been fun. Um, but that's where we are in American Christianity. We don't realize that mere hearing without action deceives ourselves and hinders our spiritual growth. Instead, we are to look intently into the perfect law of liberty and continue in it. And yeah, part of that action is the continual confession of our failure to do it. Continual repentance. Those are absolutely essential actions of faith. Our faith should also, though, manifest in practical ways, like controlling our speech and caring for the vulnerable and living in obedience to Christ's commands. You see, there is a true and genuine religion that pleases God. There's a false religion that God hates. And there's a true religion that pleases him. And this passage emphasizes the vital importance of putting our faith into action as servants of Jesus Christ. We are called to actively engage with God's word and receive it in order for it to transform our lives rather than just being hearers of it. And so he is exhorting us here to lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. And as servants of Christ, we're called to renounce and put away any sinful attitudes, behaviors, and habits that hinder our relationship with God and our growth in faith. And what he says is this. You must be doers of the word. It's not enough to passively hear the word. You have to be doers of the word. And so, by putting our faith into action, what we demonstrate is the authenticity of our relationship with Christ. And so, we live in this day and age where we have this problem, right? We never really get, I mean, first of all, we, we can't even get past the first verse about surrendering ourselves totally to God. I mean, we respond to that by, ain't nobody going to tell me what to do, and I'm my own person, and I'm my own man, or I'm my own woman. I'm my own boss. So we never even get to the part of surrendering ourselves to God. Much less getting to the part about counting it all joy when you fall into various temptations. And we never get to the part about being doers of the word and not hearers only. And then we look around and we're like, why is everything in such a mess? Why is everything in disarray? Why are we living unfulfilled, unhappy lives? Well, it's because we want to divorce things from the gospel. The gospel says that we are to disciple the nations. We are to go preach the gospel to every creature. Okay, well, 
we may not do much going, but we can handle the idea of the gospel having to be communicated. And then you have less people on the next thing, and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. It's like, well, you know, we might can go along with that. There's some others that won't go along with that. They're like, no, that's not, we're not going to baptize people, um, or we're going to do it differently. We're not going to do it in the name of the triune God. And so then there's less there. But the overwhelming majority never going to get to the third part of the gospel commission, and that is to teach them to obey all things that Christ has commanded us. That's where we draw the line, right? Nope, that ain't going to happen. We ain't going to do that. And so we have this terrible plight upon us. And the reason is because we live in lies. We live in the lie that, and you have to have context to things, right? But, but we, we present lies in contexts. The words may sound true on the surface, but the way that we apply them, they are lies, like grace covers it all. Mm-hmm. Jude warns us about turning the grace of our God into licentiousness. Which means that God gives us grace and it doesn't matter what we do. It is true that God's grace is abundant and where sin abounds, grace abounds more. And that it covers our sins, but it also cleanses us from sin. That's an ongoing work. It's not a license for willful disobedience or an excuse to continue in ungodly behavior. Read Romans chapter 6. And so what we do is we turn something good, like the grace of God, and we turn it into something bad in order to justify our unbeat uh, disobedience. And what we really need to do is just confess it and repent of it and attempt to continue to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. True faith should compel us to live in obedience to his teachings out of love and gratitude for what he has done for us. It should cause us to be not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And then secondly, we'll tell ourselves this lie. It's a small sin. It's not a big thing. It's just the slippery slope, right? Because the little thing gets a little bigger, and it gets a little bigger, and it gets a little bigger, and it gets a little bigger. It becomes more controlling, whatever the situation is. But it doesn't just remain this small little pet sin that you can control. So we tell ourselves, it's just a small sin. But yet, Scripture teaches that sin is sin in the eyes of God. Look in James chapter 2 and verse number 10. For, what, for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. Or we tell ourselves this lie, everybody's doing it. 
this is a new day. This is a new age. We don't live in the 1800s anymore. This is an enlightened culture. Modernism and technology. Things are different now. They didn't have computer porn. It's a different world. They didn't have all these different things. Everyone else is doing it. And so... If we're going to correct these things and become doers of the word, what do we need to do? We have to have honest self-reflection. Humbly examine ourselves and our lives in every area to see how we are falling short of God's standards. It requires honesty with ourselves and each other and acknowledging our weaknesses and our failures. And then we need to have a renewing of the mind. The transformational process begins with renewing our minds through the study and meditation of God's word in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. So as we align our thoughts with scripture, not my will but thy will be done, done, it becomes easier to discern God's will and then with other means that God has given us to walk in obedience, which one of these means is seeking accountability and community. Hmm. Surrounding ourselves with a community of believers who are committed to living out God's word to provide support and accountability. Remember we mentioned the passage in Hebrews chapter 10. To provoke one another, to stir up one another to love and good works. And then prayer and dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Because we know that we can do nothing of ourselves and it must be God who wills and does the work within us. And so we need to recognize these lies that we continue to tell ourselves. And we need to turn from it. And you see, and what we need is some old, good old-fashioned grit and determination of a servant. Someone who has completely surrendered themselves to their master. And I'm going to serve him for the rest of of my life because he bought me out of prison. He redeemed my life from destruction. And I am going to serve him. I am going to be his servant. So as we close here this morning... As James deals with the aspect of trials, it comes from a place of surrender. Being able to be victorious through trials, because you're going to have them one way or another, comes from a place of being surrendered completely to God. And then it comes from putting certain things into action. And if we are going to overcome the challenges that we are facing, and we are facing some very significant challenges in our world today, 
And we are on the brink of complete disaster. If we are going to overcome these challenges, we're going to have to move forward in addressing these issues that are holding us back. The lies that we tell ourselves, the fear of offense, the cultural relativism, the lack of knowledge that we need to have of God's word, our lack of commitment to being conformed to the image of Christ, our rejection of humility, which is what Christian community is all about, right? And accountability. And also our resistance of the Holy Spirit. All because we don't want to serve. We don't want to be a servant. We don't want to surrender our lives. So let us remember that being servants of God and Jesus Christ is the key Absolutely the key to experiencing the joy, the perspective, the endurance, and the characteristics, and the act of faith that is necessary to navigate the trials of life and fulfill our purpose for God's glory. Oh Lord, we pray that you would help us to humble ourselves before you. And as I struggled here this morning, not knowing what to preach, but the other, but the passage that I thought about preaching was Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And this is a promise that you have given unto us. But Lord, we know that we are the people who are called by your name. But we just won't humble ourselves. Much less pray much less seek your face, much less turn from our wicked ways. Lord, we pray you help us to not consider our lives our own, realizing that we've been bought with a price. We've been bought out of the dungeons of Satan on the auction block. We've been bought with a price, the precious blood of Christ. May you help us to consider ourselves servants of you. May we surrender ourselves and give ourselves wholly and completely and then just see Just watch you work and see what you will do in our lives and in our families and in our church and in our churches and 
and our communities. But Lord, we pray that you would help us with our first problem. And that is to recognize and to consider ourselves as servants, slaves of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.